It is time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to be with you as I am every weekday, 4 Eastern, 3 Central on ESPN-UP. Got a guest in studio with me. He was introduced as the new men's basketball coach at Northern Michigan earlier this morning, Matt Mackerzak. Welcome to the UP, Coach. How you liking it so far? It's been awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, really enjoyed my uh, brief time here so far, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I know you haven't even been here a full 24 hours, and it's been hectic. Haven't had a lot of chance to enjoy the city, but uh, any favorite part of it so far? Anything sticking out to you? Um, just we we went over to Black Rocks today. There you and, go. And it lived up to all the hype, so uh, that was definitely kind of cool. And um, just seeing the, the, the dome structure, Yes, it's just, you know, I've seen a lot of athletic facilities. I don't know if I've ever seen anything kind of as unique and impressive just from a sense of structure as, as that. So that was pretty cool as well. Yeah, you've got the Barry Events Center. You've had a chance to check it out. Give me your first impressions of it. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, the uh, video screen is first class. When you walk in, it looks like a Division One arena, um, which obviously is for hockey. And um, I think uh, men's basketball, as we continue to grow the program, I think that place is going to be a lot of fun. Well, Coach, let's help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. You come from uh, junior college, Bryant and Stranton, and a couple of years ago, they didn't have athletics. You literally, you talk about building up a program. You literally built up a program that did not offer basketball a couple of years ago in your lone season with them last year, 25-8. and eight, You were 17th in the country and brought them to the NCAA, tur- excuse me, to the JUCO tournament. But, I mean, tell me about your process, how you build up a program from scratch and have success right away like you did. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy time. Everyone's been kind of asking me how nuts uh, this process has been. And um, in some ways, the beauty of here right now is the team's back and, and the team's solid and um, coming off a successful year. When I had gotten there last summer, um, they had no returning players. We were kind of building from scratch. They'd had basketball for two years, but in a lot of ways, no one even knew what it was. So um, you had to kind of take a blank slate and the nice part about it was I was able to kind of put my own spin on it and um, Juco sometimes has a bad reputation and um, what we decided to do from the jump is we always called it be different and try to be different than everyone else we recruited a bunch of high academic students Um, my background had always been NCAA Division 2 Division 1 and um, I said if if I'm going to be at a Juco job I'm just going to close my eyes real hard and pretend it's a D2 and just treat it the exact same way and um, ironically enough, 14 months later, evidently uh, uh, clicked the uh, red heels, so to speak, and, and here we are with, the, with an actual D2 school. So it all worked out pretty well. Well, Coach, you have a Division One background. You went to the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. You were a student assistant there for a time. Tell me about your time there. It was an unbelievable experience. I, I Out of high school, I, I was a lot like typical high school kids that um, aren't excelling in one sport where I played everything um small town you know you you, baseball I think I quit playing in fourth grade in my junior year they came up to me and said hey we need some guys and then I became a baseball player and and that was kind of me growing up um just love sports basketball was always my passion um I wasn't great at it so it was when it became time to decide where to go um I was like how can I do this basketball thing and um, ended up going to UW Green Bay. First two years was kind of more typical manager stuff, and then I got kind of a big break where uh, Brian Wardle, who was our assistant coach the first two years, became the head coach my junior year. Um, and Green Bay is a smaller staff for a D1 school, so I basically got to be on staff at a Division One school.
school at at 20 years old, which is an opportunity at the time. I don't know if I even realized kind of how crazy that is. Um, but looking back on it, I think that was a big part of me able to kind of break into the business and get a little bit ahead of the curve. Do they revere alumnus like Tony Bennett there the way that we do here with Izzo and Mariucci? Yeah, I would say the Bennett family, you know, Dick was the coach and Tony played. Um, the Bennett family is definitely the, the first family of Green Bay basketball, um, similar to how Izzo is um, um, here. Um, they're, they're around um, in the community quite a bit. A lot of um, relatives still live in the area. Um, and those Green Bay teams from the early 90s definitely is kind of the gold standard that I think Green Bay always kind of strived to get back to being like that. And I, I th- think it's probably a very similar situation. Well, you spent a few seasons as an assistant at Bemidji State, and you talked about it in your press conference this morning, a lot of similarities between the Northern program and Bemidji. Tell me about some of those similarities. The towns, um, there's some differences for sure. I think Marquette's um, a little bit more lively, a little bigger, um, but they're similar feeling towns where the people's the first thing that sticks out. Um, you know, everywhere you go, um, you can just tell the people are a little bit different quality when it comes to just being nice and kind of wishing the best out of others. Um, you know, both are on lakes, although Lake Superior is a little <laughs> bit big, a little bit bigger than than Lake. A little bit, but uh, both are on lakes, so you know there's that kind of similarity. Both have Division One hockey with Division Two for the rest of the sports, um, and both are green. That's been a nice. I was Green Bay. I was Bemidji. I, I'm a little more comfortable now that I'm back in green. That's a that's that's my look. I think. Have you spent much time in the UP? I don't want to get too far away from Bemidji, but do you have some familiarity with the UP? Um, I've been up here on um, a couple a couple trips, golfing some, um, and then this year we actually played um, with my JUCO team. We played a Bay College mm. game, um, so that was kind of fun. And um, as I was driving up here, I drove by Bay, and I didn't even make the connection of just how close Escanaba was. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. So I've already talked to Coach Johnson over there, who's a, a good friend of mine, and kind of picked his brain about um, just UP basketball and the players up here and things of that nature. And to be honest, I was blown away by the crowd we had when we went to Bay. Um, you know, it, coaching, obviously, junior college, you're not used to having great crowds night in and night out. And we played some of the premier junior colleges in the country. And when we went up to Bay, that was probably the best crowd we had all year, um, and not just in the stance of people, but just how they acted. They knew basketball. Um, they were into the game. After the game, we were fortunate enough to to win. You know, everyone kind of stuck around and was talking to me. It was it actually was a really cool experience, which now I attach a little different value to than I did at the time. Well, Coach, uh, you were at Bemidji. You were in charge of the defense, and during your final year, Bemidji's defensive field goal rating went from 13th in your league. To second, tell me about the jump that you're able to make defensively. I think that was a big uh, growing moment for me as a coach. Um, our head coach up there, um, we kind of struggled on defense for a few years and for a variety of reasons. And um, I had just kind of decided, you know, I, I, I'm supposed to be watching a little bit more defense, and clearly it's I'm not doing a very good job with it. So um, I just said I'm going to just take over. I'm going to do all our scouting reports. I'm going to focus on this at all times. And um, in a way, I just kind of took complete ownership as an assistant over the defensive side of things. I think 
him allowing me that freedom um, really gave me some confidence as a as a coach and as my ability to be a head coach since kind of taking over one side of the ball you're in charge of a few more things in practice and um, I just really think that helped me kind of come up with my own philosophies then apply them and then kind of take ownership over the results which feeding into my first year as a head coach I thought that was just a great experience and um, we we're fortunate enough to be pretty successful Talk with Matt Mackerzak. He was introduced as the new men's basketball coach at Northern Michigan earlier this morning. Well, Coach, the Northern job was posted just a little over a month ago, May 21st. What made this job attractive for you? I saw it initially, and I thought this would be a just a tremendous fit and um, kind of the way these things go. Um, I had actually turned down a few other opportunities this summer where I didn't. I got called and I didn't even apply or pursue things that were, were okay. And this was just that one kind of special thing that I, I just knew I needed to at least take a chance on and see if I could get involved in, in the mix. Um, have tremendous respect for um, what Bill did here and the way he built the program up into a, a contender and um, had a chance at some championship stuff last year. Um, so that was obviously very, very attractive. We've already kind of talked about the city and the town. That was something that um, was crucial for me is when you get an opportunity like this, my plan is being here in the, for the long haul. And Marquette's a place I'd love to live and, and become part of the community and all those types of things. And um, then just the familiarity with some of the players. There's some guys in the past I've recruited and gotten to know. And um, I knew that they had some good guys that I would want to be part of. And then lastly, um, we've had... I've had tremendous success everywhere I've been um, recruiting the state of Wisconsin. And um, obviously our recruiting is going to start first and foremost in the area. But I think uh, we have a tremendous opportunity to become kind of the main destination for the best Wisconsin players uh, at the D2 level. And that's something I'm excited about. Well, you're inheriting a team that is going to return 12 and they just posted back-to-back winning seasons. Tell me about your interactions with the players. Um, I said it in the press conference today, but the players were absolutely, uh, you know, kind of lights out when I met with them. Um, when you do these coaching interviews, I think a lot of times the you get, can get a little caught up in trying to tell everybody what you're going to do. And I think that's obviously what, what they're there for. But I also really enjoyed learning about um, Northern Michigan and the players. When I met with them, I left with a certain level of confidence about um, what we could do here because they were talking about the right things over and over and over again. Um, they mentioned, you know, stuff about fan interaction and culture, and you could just tell they liked each other. And you put guys from all around the Midwest together who are all all-stars on their own team, and you put them in the same locker room. Very rarely do you develop that kind of love and family atmosphere. A lot of teams break down huddles saying family, but to actually be that, that's a whole other element. And uh, the players here... There was no doubt to me that that was a fact. They were family. They felt like family. Um, and then today, I was walking around the building, and, and there was a youth basketball camp going on, and I wanted to go and check in on it and you know, just see what, what the guys were doing. And when I went in there, it was, it was the most structured and organized basketball camp I've been a part of in a long time, and it was just being run by the players. And obviously, I think uh, Naba's overseeing that, and evidently he's got about as bright a future coaching as he, as he did as a player if, if uh, he's going to continue to have that positive effect on people. Well, Coach, offensive numbers really picked up for Bryant Stranton last year. You uh, run a high-octane style offense. You emphasize shooting and effective shooting, efficient shooting. Tell me about your offensive philosophy. 
Yeah, we were fortunate enough last year to finish second in the nation in three-pointers made. Um, it was a little bit the nature of who, who the team we were able to recruit late in the game was. We didn't have a lot of true big guys, and um, I, I'm one of those people that I don't find a lot of use in complaining about what we don't have. So rather than fight the fact we were smaller, we just embraced it, and we played really, really fast. We shot a ton of threes. We tried to get to the rim um, after shooting early threes and uh, then knocked down free throws at a pretty high clip as well. Um, you know, the old, you know, everyone says they're going to play fast. To me, it's a, playing fast isn't about just shooting quickly. It's about making quick decisions, moving the ball. Um, we actually chart every possession. We chart how many passes we make in that possession, which is something the Golden State Warriors um, have talked about and done. And um, most ideas I come up with, I'm not smart enough to come up with great ideas myself. So I try to read what other good people are doing. And if it's something I think fits into what we want to do, I just try to steal it. And that was definitely one of those things that um, we used a lot this year um, at Brian Stratton. Well, as he gets set to take over the program, what's the next step for you? Is it filling out who's going to join you on the bench or what have you? Yeah, I think uh, probably for me, priority one is getting to know the returners. Um, more than anything, I, I just want them to know that this is their program. They're, they built it up, and I'm fortunate enough to um, you know, kind of serve them as their new coach to try to continue that rise um you know the second priority to me is is who we add to that locker room so that means an assistant coach um which we have the opportunity to do um i have some people that i think are going to be really really good that are interested in the job um i've probably been hit, contacted by 20 30 people today um, i'm really confident in who we're going to end up with and then um, probably adding one or two players i think um, you know, there's going to be some good news soon on that front. I think we're going to add some kids that um, are very, very talented, but also fit exactly what we want culturally and what they're already about. But they're tough and they're winners. Well, Coach, about everybody on the search committee had you listed as their number one choice for the job. And Tom Izzo was a part of that search committee. So you come pretty well referenced. Yeah, I think it helped a little bit that Coach Izzo uh, knew uh, Brian Wardle who, from Green Bay. Um, they actually played this year in the NCAA tournament. I think he gave him a little bit of scare, so maybe that uh, maybe that helped a little bit with uh, him recommending me for the job. But I thought the search committee was um, just a group of good people, and um, what I tried to do is just be me and be as genuine as possible. I think sometimes when you get in those situations, it's tempting to try to think what other people want to hear. Um, and in this case, I just said, this is this is me, this is what I do. And um, I think it just happened to align very, very well with um, what Northern Michigan was looking for. Well, Coach, away from basketball, what should Northern fans know about you? What do you like to do when you're not on the floor? Um, a year ago, I would have said I like to like run around lakes and stuff, and that would have been a great answer here. <laughs> but evidently, year one head coaching, I decided that, that the whole running thing wasn't something that I was going to do so I can't say that anymore um, I golf a lot um, my thing is in in the winter you're so heavily focused on basketball 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 and when you're away from that it's you know hanging out with your family and friends and things like that so in the summer I try to get outside as much as I can um, and so golfing is a great way to do that um, I do run some and um, I like you know reading kind of some nerdy stuff every now and then and um, so yeah well, you're from Wisconsin, grew up a Bucks fan. That'll make a lot of people happy around here. It was a good season to be a Bucks fan. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was I lived uh about 
probably a 15-minute walk from the Bucks brand new arena and uh, actually did some fundraising stuff in my previous school. We were going to play a game there. I'm sure they still will. Um, so it was kind of a cool time to be a Bucks fan. Um, we played very, very similar um, to how they played last year. Shot a lot of threes, um, tried to get to the rim, didn't shoot as many mid-range shots. Um, so that was also kind of a fun dynamic was a lot of people are like, are you trying to play like the Bucks?" I'm like, mm, I'm not trying, but it just so happens that that's kind of how we're both playing this year. So that was kind of a fun a fun twist to all that. Yeah, good night for the Bucks at the awards ceremony a few nights ago. Giannis gets the MVP, Coach Bud Coach of the Year, and then John Horst, GM of the Year. It settled a debate for me. We're talking about this on the show. you got to give Middleton the max this year if he wants it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've. It's a big debate, and I would say people in Milwaukee are not necessarily on board with that, and I just don't agree. Um, you don't have many chances when you when you're a team like the Bucks to go into the season as one of the favorites, and I think they're second right now in the Vegas odds to win the championship. And I think once you get there, um, you have to keep the team intact as best you can, and. Um, they're, they have a chance to win a title with Middleton, and without Middleton, they don't. And if they get rid of him with the cap money they have and stuff, I just don't see him replacing him. I don't know what they or who they'd bring in with the money that he would free up. I don't know who they'd replace him with. What about a guy like Malcolm Brogdon? I'm not ready to pay him the max, but he's still pretty valuable to the team. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's where that restricted free agency stuff seems to really catch these NBA teams because the other teams have the option to uh, max him and kind of force the Bucks' hand on that. So if you're one of these teams that have a bunch of cap room, you're not ready to compete yet, um, you don't mind overpaying a guy like Brogdon, and that puts the Bucks in a tough situation. And I think that's that's the hard part about being good. And at the same time, I think that's where you want to get to. You want to get to the point where you have those hard decisions. Coach Matt Mackerzak, the new men's basketball coach at Northern. Coach, glad that you're here. Welcome here. I think people are going to enjoy your basketball tenure here. And the hardest part is probably going to be learning how to spell that name. No doubt. I Yeah. It's uh, it's a tough one. It's easier to say than it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the pronunciation is okay. It's it's more the spelling that that doesn't make any sense at all. Works for Coach K though. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's worked for someone. So, Tanner hoops with you on the sports pen. Let's take our first time out. John Michael Hofling from ABC Ten joins me next. The Yankees are still mashing. Set a record last night and they extended it today. Next in the sports pen on ESPN UB. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. John Michael Hofling from ABC10 joins me. I'm not going to ask how you're doing because I can read it all over your face, man. You're tired. Yeah, I mean, you know how you know how it is. I mean, we had the northern coach who introduced to us today at 9 mm-hmm. and then... Uh, we got the skills challenge at two thirty, so it's been a lot of stuff. And I just finished Michael's Monday Minute. Thank goodness that the Michigan Vanderbilt series went three, <laughs> because otherwise it'd be a little out of date. But those things take a while, man. Michael's Wednesday Minute. My well, uh, what, what I always say is, uh, we were actually thinking of making it a joke when I first uh, when I first joined ABC Ten. We were thinking of making a joke where Monday Minute was always on a different day of the week, <laughs> but never Monday. But yeah, whenever whenever it's not on Monday, I just say, oh, this Wednesday edition. Of Monday Minute. Well, there you go. I mean, you've got plenty of content. Is that what it's about? Is this Michigan Vanderbilt this week? Sort of. It's a little bit about that. Basically, like, ever since the college, the, the finals started uh, with Michigan and Vanderbilt, I've been seeing tweet after tweet of people from around here saying that 
Michigan could beat the Tigers. So I'm just going to put a stop to that real quick. <laughs> it's like a few years ago, could Alabama beat the Cleveland Browns when no. all that was going around? It's like, could Duke beat the Knicks? I, I will say, if there's one sport that I think a college team could potentially beat a pro team in, it's basketball. Okay. I could buy that because there there are stars in basketball that come in and immediately make a make a That's legitimate true. impact, mm-hmm. and a team that has no stars like the New York Knicks could could fall. I would love to see it. Kyle O'Quinn trying to defend R.J. Barrett. <laughs> exactly. Could you imagine if we actually got that? I'm mad now that we missed that opportunity. It's crazy, man. And they used to have stuff like that. Uh, you remember a cup? I can't remember how long ago, but they did it for 42 years in the NFL, where the yep. Super Bowl champs played the played like a Pro Bowl college team. I remember the NCAA champion was Notre Dame one year. This was like the 1920s, and the New York Giants won the NFL football championship, and they played each other, and it was like a 28 nothing butt kicking. But I tell you what, I think you're on to something where basketball would be the only one where it could potentially happen. Think about hockey. Champion this year was Duluth. Play in the cup champion, St. Louis Blues. What do you think, think the score be, that game would be? Probably like 7-1. to one. You think they'd score? I think they'd score. Okay. Uh, hockey, hockey's a game of lucky bounces. You just get <laughs> all, all you need is one. All right, yeah. Maybe if they can solve Bennington, they can find an off night for yeah, him, what you, have you. You know, like, the Blues are going to be quicker, more disciplined and stuff like that and have better plays. You never know, man. One bounce. I mean, Jeremy Roenick's 500th goal was off the glass on the dumping that found its way around, uh, I believe, Mike Smith's stick. So, yeah. who knows? Well, I tell you what, it used to be Alabama and the Browns. That used to be the football matchup. Is it Clemson and the Cardinals now? Like, who's the bottom tier in the NFL now? For me personally, uh, I mean, I think Kingsbury and David Johnson are good enough to take the Cardinals over the I Miami. think they will be, but uh, they haven't shown that yet. Well, I, I think the Miami Dolphins are 100% undoubtedly. They are the team that you can say 100% for sure are going to be bad. What and about Cincy? Cincy, you know, Andy Dalton's been to the playoffs, a healthy Tyler Eifert, and all of a sudden that, that offense ain't looking too bad. I don't think a healthy Tyler Eifert's going to happen, though. Yeah, but, but who knows? <laughs> I mean, they still got Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is the most underrated uh, running back in the league. Yeah, there's a lot to like about him. Yeah, the defense is lacking a little bit, but, I mean, that offense ain't too bad if Andy Dalton can find his rhythm again. I can't wait for football. I'm excited for this so football season. So am I. I'm just so wait. hyped for football. I've never – this this draft – these past two drafts, I've never been so excited for the NFL draft. I know. I want to see how this pans out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. We could go point, on forever about yeah, this. Daniel Jones finally gets a shot. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I don't think he's going to play until Eli retires. I, he might play. I don't know if he'll oh, start. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's I, I, mean. I think they have to at least play him this year, though, drafting him that high. Yeah. He's got to see the field, I think, at least a little bit. And that make, I mean, there are other quarterbacks. I mean, Patrick Mahomes. He didn't, he only he only saw the field the last uh, last game of the season. That might be what the Giants do. I mean, you think about all the like great quarterbacks in the league right now. I mean, Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers. They all got to sit behind another strong quarterback for at least a year. Okay. And I think that that needs to start becoming a trend where yeah, you draft a quarterback high, but give them a little bit of time to develop and understand what the NFL is all about. Well, I tell you what, we have got football on the brain, but we've got baseball on the docket. The Yankees are absolutely mashing right now. They set a major league record last night. First ever team to homer in 28 consecutive games. Right now, they got to be the AL favorite, don't they? Yeah, they are. They are. They are, easily. I mean, uh, the Astros are very clearly a, a second place, and I think the Rays are also up there, but the Yankees the offense, yeah. 
<laughs> and the twins, of course. It's just weird to say that, man. I, I know. I did, I did not it's expect, weird for me, too. I did not expect the Twins to be there. No but, one did. Yeah, I mean, the, the Yankees, the fact that they have a pitching staff that's not at full strength, their offense just can still keep them in games, and that's phenomenal because I've never seen a team rely on hitting so much mm-hmm. and succeed with it. Yeah. I, I've always been, oh, pitching is how you win. Pitching is mm-hmm. how you win. You need a Clayton Kershaw. You need a Max Scherzer. You need a Justin Verlander. But no, they, they don't have anybody like that. But they are going after Luis Castillo, from what I've seen. Okay. If they're going after, it looks like, Mad Bum, Strowman, they're probably going to get both of them, and I just, I'm going to lose it when that happens. (laughs) And Luis Castillo. And Luis Castillo, I know. And then they're going to be bolstered in the pitching rotation, in the bullpen, in the batting lineup. That'd be an insane rotation. And they could do it because they have the money. Strowman, Bumgarner, J.A. Happ, Luis Severino. Woo! And then Chapman to back it up. Yep. Yep. And, and they still have baton sets, too. Yeah. Probably the best setup man in the league. Man, they are. They're going to be scary, especially if they can pull off a few of these moves. I think they're going to get Stroman. I don't know where Mad Bum is going to end up. A report came out today the Twins are strongly pursuing him. I think he'd work well in Minnesota. Yeah? I don't think that his personality would match up well in New York. <laughs> I think he'd get fiery real quick. I mean, as soon as he, as soon as he puts on that Yankees uniform in Fenway, something's going to go down. You think uh, he'll have a problem with, like, Brian Wilson? You think he'll have a problem being clean-shaven? No, I mean, Bumgarner wasn't clean-shaven when he came into the league. Well, he's grizzled now. Yeah, he, it's part <laughs> of him. He's, he's grown into it, but I think he's mature enough to know, like, what he needs to do. There are some things he's not mature about. Like, he, there was this whole thing about if Bochi brought in a starter for him, mm-hmm. or like an opener for him. Yeah. Okay. He was not happy about that. Mm-hmm. But just in general, I think he's got a better attitude than, say, someone like Chris Sale. So I think he knows like what he what he has to do, and he's willing to do it. I would be okay with the Twins getting Mad Bum, even though I like the starting rotation Minnesota has right now. All five of them are doing pretty well. I'd be okay with them going out and getting Mad Bum for whatever price, just so the Yankees don't. <laughs> like At some point, you're just trying to deny the Yankees from getting all these prospects, because if they do, they're going to be unbeatable. I don't think they're unbeatable. I mean, all right. It, they feel unbeatable. They feel unbeatable, but I mean, so did the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I tell you what, though, Will Smith, also somebody the Twins are showing interest in, I would say he was, or he has been the Giants' best player this year, would you? Yeah. Yeah. Undoubtedly. I think there are only four Giants that still have any sort of value right now. Yeah? Yeah. Will Smith, Madison Bumgarner, Brandon Belt, and Brandon Crawford. I think Crawford's ju- stock is down right now. It's it's down, but still, you can never have too much defense. Right. Yeah, he's he, good defensively, right. He, he, he's great defensively. Mm-hmm. Probably the best defensive shortstop in the NL. Mm, Paul DeYoung. No. Yes. No. Yes. No, you show me Paul DeYoung's gold glove. Well, he's got a 991 fielding percentage. Yeah, Brandon Crawford's got three? <laughs> three gold gloves? He's been in the league longer than DeYoung. Yeah, but still, as soon as Simmons left the NL, it was all Crawford's. <laughs> well, I tell you what, back to Will Smith. The Twins need a true closer. They need a real closer. Right now they have a few guys acting that role. Will Smith would certainly fit the hey, bill. You want to take Mark Melanson off our hands? I do not want to take Mark <laughs> Melanson off your hands. I still remember, I think it was Dozier taking him yard in the All-Star game a few years ago. Yeah, that did not work out. But yeah, Will, Will Smith, would, would he, he'd benefit anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a single, like, because he wasn't, he wasn't a closer when he came into the league. He was just no. a normal relief pitcher. He fits any sort of role. And he would fit the closer role really well for the Twins because, like, Parker's probably the closest thing they have right now. 
But I mean, I like Smith a lot. What happened to Brandon Kinsler? I really like. He's with the Cubs now. He's with the Cubs. Okay. Yeah, they traded him in 2015 to Washington. Excuse me, no, that was uh, 2017 when they did make the playoffs. Hmm. They rallied and finished 10 over 500 that season. Dang. So, I like Brandon Kinsler. I do too. I sometimes I miss Brandon Kinsler. I liked him better than Fernando Rodney when he was oh, a Twins yeah. closer. My gosh. Some, uh, you know what's crazy is I look at those guys, uh, the guys like Fernando Rodney, Jerus Familia, and stuff like that. Mm. How do the A's make them good? It, it, Blake, Tri- Blake Trinan was atrocious with the Nationals. Yeah. How, how do the A's do it, man? The A's take these guys. Jesse Chavez is not good with any other team. <laughs> but as soon as he goes back, the, back and forth from the A's, he becomes good again. Something about them. Jesse Chavez went into the seventh inning for the first time in over two years last night. Helped yeah. Texas beat the Tigers. You know when the last time he went over seven When innings? he was with the A's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, what happened to Familia? It's 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 going to be something that gets a 30 for 30 someday. It could be. I, I don't know what the story is behind it or what it happened just, there. Just, this guy was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I tell you what, it's like Edwin Diaz came into town and Familia felt like there was no purpose for him anymore. There wasn't really. Well, maybe not. Diaz was just the better guy. He is a better closer, it's for sure. Yeah. Plus, with all the stuff that was going on with the Mets at the time, mm-hmm. it's continued to go on now. <laughs> he's just been surrounded by it. He, he either attracts it or he's been surrounded by it. You think Mickey Calloway has to be fearing for his job? A little bit. They say I, he's not, but I don't believe it. There were definitely expectations coming into this season, mm-hmm. and then this just adds more wood to the fire, you know? Probably should have just stayed as Cleveland's pitching coach. That was a good good gig. It was a good gig, yeah. No, nobody was ever going to blame you when you had Carrasco, <laughs> Bauer, and Kluber backing you up. And oh, uh, even, I even like Clevenger and Tomlin. They're both pretty good, too. I tell you what, Trevor Bauer, he could be trade bait coming up at the deadline if something happens to the Indians. Right now they're contending. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to come back to Cleveland this year. He could be one of the high commodity free agents this offseason. He's, he, yeah, he, he could be, but I doubt the Indians will give him up. One, because they're in a pretty weak division. Like Other than the Minnesota Twins, I don't think any, any of those teams is really... Like, maybe the White Sox could make some they're getting sort of there, yeah, yeah, slowly. But uh, as long as they're in that division, they're going to at least contend for a playoff spot. So I don't think they're going to trade him. Tanner Hoops, John Michael, hopefully with you. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. Let's take another time out when we come back. Andre Ingadala has a theory on why Mark Jackson has not been offered a head coaching job in the NBA. That is next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you along with John Michael Hoefling. Glad to have you with us. Here's your Sports Center update. Westgate in Las Vegas has released their NFL MVP odds for this season. Patrick Mahomes tops the list at 4-1 to one odds. He is followed by Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck, who each open at 8-1. to one. Top 13 favorites, all quarterbacks. The highest non-quarterback, Ezekiel Elliott, number 14. Is Dak Prescott higher than Ezekiel Elliott? No. Good. Matt Ryan is, though. I don't think it's that bad. Matt Ryan's higher than Baker Mayfield. I don't... Okay, yeah. Baker Mayfield has Nick Chubb... <laughs> It has Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, and Odell Beckham Jr. But yeah, he's going to be the reason. Breakout year for Njoku, I'm calling it. <laughs> I've been saying that for years, man, but it never happened. I know, you're waiting for that breakout year yeah. from David Njoku. Toronto Raptors head coach Nick Nurse will coach the Canadian national team at the upcoming FIBA World Cup and the 2020 Olympics should they qualify. Trader, he's from Iowa. <laughs> 
Have I tell you what, good for him. He's been embraced by that country. And finally, a woman who claims to have married a 300-year-old pirate's ghost says that they are divorcing. Kind of surprised it uh, didn't work wanted, out. He wanted the booty too often. He ghosted her. <laughs> gotcha. I did my journalistic due diligence and I read beyond the headline. And apparently she is obsessed with pirates. She impersonates Jack Sparrow, dresses up like him from Pirates of the Caribbean. And she believed that she was talking to the ghost of a Haitian pirate named Jack who was executed in the 1700s for thievery and decided to marry him. And then two weeks into the marriage, she started experiencing health problems, unexplained phenomena, and decided it was time to get a divorce. And now is warning people about the dangers of exploring spiritualism. Well, I mean, 17th century <laughs> Haiti, he's got to have scurvy or something like that. So I imagine if you if you have a relations with... That, he's a ghost. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, when crossing the spiritual plane, it can uh, have side effects. I tell you, I, I don't believe in ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? A little bit. I don't believe in ghosts like people die. I don't think that they stick around. But I do think there's some freaky spiritual stuff like demons, if you want to say that, yeah, yeah. that you don't want to mess with. I, I, well, going to Chapman, Chapman had so many things on the Orange County Ghost Tour. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, famous for being haunted. And there are a lot of stories from people I know and have who have, like, no reason to lie of, like, weird stuff going down. It's, I've ne- Like, I, I kind of want one of those encounters. I know. Like, I kind of want to see if, like, there's yeah, something, like, like... I'm terrified of it, but I kind of want an encounter. What city is Chapman in? Orange. All right. Right next to Anaheim. Okay, well... Disneyland and ghosts. Disneyland ghosts. Is it ducks land and is in Omaha. Ducks and angels. Yeah, land is land is in uh, land is in Anaheim. Land is in Anaheim. Did I just say Omaha? Yeah, you said Omaha. Gosh dang it! I'm thinking College World Series. Uh, who's not at least? Yeah, there? yeah. I got a big one coming up tonight. Yeah. But I tell you what, Mark Jackson, former head coach of the Golden State Warriors. I'm glad you're here because you're a Warrior fan, and we get inside perspective on this. And to give you some background for the listeners who may not know. Mark Jackson, formerly head coach of the Golden State Warriors, fired in 2014, has not gotten a head coaching job since. Right now he's a broadcaster for the NBA on ABC. One of his former players, Andre Iguodala, still plays for the Warriors. He had one year under Jackson back in 2014. He believes that Mark Jackson is being blackballed by NBA owners and front offices because of his religious beliefs. Jackson is a devout Christian, and he's not shy to talk about it he is also a licensed minister sometimes would let his two jobs interact with each other cross over into each other there wasn't a fine line between being a preacher and being a coach for him and that included taking his players to church at one point he took Steph Curry when he was suffering with that ankle injury remember that he took him to his church and tried to heal him with oil apparently the front office I don't know if that's what led to his firing in 2014 But the front office didn't like that. Eventually, Jackson was fired. I'm not saying it was because of his religious beliefs, but Andre Ingadala believes that is the reason why Mark Jackson does not have a job five years later. You've been a fan of this franchise for a long time. What do you think? If he was a player, I would say that that's malarkey. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. I mean, look at other guys who have been like devout Christians and have led their teams through it. Carson Wentz is known as a phenomenal leader. He baptizes... His teammates all the time. Mm-hmm. So, but since he's a coach, you want your coach to be different than a leader. You want your coach to be a mentor, somebody you 
look to for wisdom and respect, not somebody who, you know, tries to steer you in certain directions, you know? They try to expand you, not... I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I, I, I could understand where that's coming from. But that being said, I, I mean, I think the biggest reason is just because they saw what Mark Jackson did with the same team that Steve Kerr won the championship with, and they're like, oh, he wasn't able to win the championship mm-hmm. with that team? Come on. Well, that's one of the biggest black marks against him. On his resume, every year since he's been fired, the Warriors have gone on to the NBA Finals. They've won it three times. But if you look at his body of work and his resume, I mean, obviously it wasn't great. It didn't totally meet expectations at Golden State, but it still wasn't bad. It was good enough where he probably should have a job by now. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but how much of that was actually due to him? A lot of that was just due to the fact that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson... Harrison Barnes, Draymond Green were all dra- and I don't think Festus Azili was around by this time, but they were all drafted by the Warriors and they were all doing they were all doing their thing. And the fact is that he couldn't create a system that utilized those players well enough. And in a day and age where the game is changing to all about shooting, all about shooting, all about shooting, all about shooting, Mark Jackson wasn't able to adapt to that. wasn't able to figure that out. So maybe in a system or maybe in a league where it's all about shooting, Mark Jackson's coaching style just doesn't fit. I'm not saying that it was a bad firing because they certainly upgraded at the head coaching position. Steve Kerr, is he's a great coach, albeit a lot of his success is attributed to the players that he has. But Mark Jackson, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some blackballing going around because his resume says he's good enough to coach somewhere in the NBA. Yeah, he, he is good enough to coach somewhere somewhere in the NBA. We could, say that about a lot, we could say that about a lot of people. We could say that about a lot of players. There are a lot of players that don't have jobs that probably should have jobs because their resume seems good enough that they're getting blackballed. We can't say for sure, right? Nobody knows for sure, mm-hmm. other than the owners, I guess. Right. Like, he, Andre Iguodala wasn't saying that there was collusion or anything. Right? No. Okay, I, w- I would hope not. I mean, and he's still making a fine living as, a, as an announcer. He Maybe he could pull a John Gruden and come back in 10 years. <laughs> Who knows? I'd be okay with Mark Jackson leaving <laughs> the booth. Where do, you th- th- where do you think he'd fit right now? Oh, right now? Um... Uh... That's a good one. How about this? Kyrie goes to Brooklyn and gets Mark Jackson. Who is Brooklyn's coach right now? Does anybody know? No idea, but he just led them to the playoffs, so he's probably not getting fired. No, no. I would say Orlando. They, they just, just made, made the, the playoffs. Play. I know, but yeah. I don't think they're going back. Uh, is there any team that like is going to get their coach fired? Phoenix has gone through six in the last seven years, so that one might be open. Maybe. And I don't think that that's a bad one to start with. You, no. get, you get Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton mm-hmm. and uh, Miles Bridges, right? He might be there. Yeah, I think, he, double I check think that. that's him. I keep getting him and Kevin Knox mixed up, but Kevin <laughs> Knox is on the Knicks, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, it's Miles Bridges. But I tell you what, I don't know. I'd like to see Mark Jackson get another chance sometime. Stephen A. Smith, he's good friends with Mark Jackson, believes that he should be coaching again in the NBA. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's truth to what Andre Ingadala said, but I look forward to seeing you know if Jackson does get another shot. I hope he does. It sounds like from what I know about him, he'd be perfect at a school like Notre Dame, <laughs> except he's not Catholic. He grew up Catholic. He's evangelical now, so like SMU? Larry Brown kind of left that program in jambles. I'm not sure, man. Uh, whatever he goes to, I think he'll improve the program, especially if he goes to a college. St. John's job was just open. He went to St. John's. Go. There we go. Yeah, it, it, that, that makes total sense. Probably should have hired him. I think Mark Jack, no matter what college program he goes to, unless it's Duke or Villanova or one of the like big 
ten coaches, mm-hmm. not the, the Big Ten Conference, but like the famous ten coaches in college basketball. I think whatever program Mark Jackson goes to, he would improve it. What about Georgetown? I don't you know think he'd be a good fit at Georgetown? I don't, I don't know Georgetown well enough. I don't think he will go to college, as fun as it is to speculate. I think he's just an NBA guy. He I think he's going to stick around the NBA. He's an NBA guy, but I think he'd be really good at college. Yeah, he would. He really would. I still think he can do the job in the NBA. I don't know if he's ever going to get that shot again. I don't know if there's any truth to what Ingadala said. Maybe there is, and I wouldn't be totally surprised if there is. Although the Warriors got bigger problems right now. Kevin Durant just opting out of his player deal, unrestricted free agent. And Clay Thompson says, basically, if there's not a max offer on the table when free agency opens, then I'm going to listen to other offers. I know they can't legally do it. They can't legally do it before June 30th, but that's not stopped most of the teams in the NBA. But why haven't the Warriors made it a priority to get something on the table for Clay Thompson right now? You got me beat. It should have happened. Clay right Thompson now. needs to be Clay Thompson needs to be the top priority. Every team wants him. Mm-hmm. He fits in every single system. He says he wants to be a warrior. He says he wants to return. He's okay with living in Steph's shadow. Bring him back. Like KD is going to test the markets no matter what. But you have a mm-hmm. guy who's an all-star, rightful All NBA. Should have been. Yeah, should have been. And you're not gonna you're not gonna do anything. I don't know why they're dragging their feet about this. Like, are they serious about following the law of the NBA where they're not going to do anything till June 30th? Maybe because their whole situation with their owner, they're like, oh, no, 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 we're good boys. Uh, we don't do anything wrong anymore. Yeah, we don't want a tampering charge. Yeah. Leave that to Magic and Rob Palenka. And Anthony Davis and LeBron James. <laughs> they're already on it. <laughs> Those two are like the shadiest underground recruiters. They put Sean Miller to shame. Yeah. You can see the way they look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> They're already doing it. Yeah. I tell you what, free agency is going to be so much fun. Where are you going? I tell you what, the Rockets trying to get Jimmy Butler. We talked about it like it was a possibility, but now it's looking like it's going to be something that really happens or really is going to come true. I am. I would be unimpressed by that move. I think that that would be a bad move. It'd be a terrible move. I wouldn't. I. The Rockets are smarter than that. I they should like. be. It would not be a very Rocket-esque move. No. It'd be, they they got to be better than that. That would be like a Minnesota Timberwolves drafting Johnny Flynn ahead of Steph Curry move. And you could say that about a couple other players. I mean, Blake Griffin and James Harden went 1-3 in that draft. Mm-hmm. So. I didn't want to say the Pistons and Milicic. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I know that one hurts. Tell you what, let's take another time out when we come back. Michigan with a chance to win their first title in 50 years tonight. Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Chase has won there at 94, and Kumal Rocker has three strikeouts. 0-2, Blake Nelson. Oh, boy. Kumal Rocker, strikeout number four. Eight straight strikes, the 0-2. Gone. Wow. Kumar Rocker. Five strikeouts. That's fair. That's Martin. And that's the game. If you missed any part of the show today, check it out with our free mobile app. You can get it from the Apple iStore Store or Google Play. Just look up ESPN-UP. You can hear live broadcasts. You can get stuff on demand. 
Get the app. That's the app you need to have. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad to have you along. Well, tonight, it's going to be a fun one. Out in Omaha, that'll be the place to be as Michigan takes on Mighty Vanderbilt for the College World Series Championship. The equivalent to Game 7, Game 3 of the College World Series. It's going to be a fun one. I've loved watching the first two games of this series. Starting pitching has been the difference in both of them. Mm-hmm. Tommy Henry a couple of nights ago, and then Kumar Rucker last night. Yep. Pitching pitching is always the difference. Who, who, do we know who Michigan's going to have tonight? I think right. Carl Kaufman will go tonight. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, what are the what are the uh, coaches going to do? What's Baykitch going to do? What's Corbin going to do? Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting because like last time we saw Game Seven in the World Series, I believe it was Astros Dodgers. Yep, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah, either Astros, Dodgers, or Cubs, Indians. But in each one of those games, over 11 pitchers were used in the game. I wonder if coaches have enough depth right now where they'd be comfortable combining to go 11 deep into one game. I guess when you're going all out and you're trying to win a championship, yeah, there is no it's, tomorrow. It's the, la- it's the very, very last game. As long as, as long as you're not putting any of your players' arms at risk... Tell you what, Kumar Rocker, he was their ace in the hole. Vanderbilt, they weren't panicking after losing game one because they knew they had the rock going for him the next night. Yeah. That kid is going to be a really, really good draft prospect next year. I, I hope he is. I sincerely, I, I hope all of them are. I hope the Twins get him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he's, real, he, he's good. He mixes up his spots. He locates it well. What did he top out around last night? Upper 90-something? I think 96, 97. Might have been. I think, he, I think he touched 97. He can get that up a little bit. He'll be a top-tier major league that's, prospect. That's already top-tier. I think Noah Syndergaard touches 100 maybe once. With actual pro coaching, he'll, he'll hit 100. I'm excited to see where this kid goes. I'm excited for a lot of these guys to see where they end up. There's so many good stories that come out of these two teams. Jimmy, Jimmy Kerr? Jimmy Kerr, that yes. That story is incredible. Third-generation College World Series player? I, I like the difference in generations. I know. <laughs> well, well, I, I like that it's the grandfather was in 62, mm-hmm. and the father was in 84. Mm-hmm. So that's a 22-year difference. And then this one, 84 to 2019, that's 35 years. So it just, it just shows you something about the generations <laughs> and their family process. Well, that 1962 team that Kerr's grandfather played on, the last Michigan team to win the NCAA National Championship in baseball, that was the last time that a Big Ten school won the College World Series. No Big Ten school's been this far since Ohio State in 66. How big would it be for the Big Ten, a school that can't play outdoors till like mid-April, to be able to win the baseball championship? I don't think it would be a big deal for the Big Ten in general. Really? I, what's it going to do? I mean, for me... It might help Michigan, mm-hmm. but just in general, nobody's going to look at this forgotten baseball conference and be like, "Oh, hey, they got lucky or they got a good run one year. Let's do that now." I think Michigan will get some help from it. They'll be like, "Oh, if they, if Michigan wins the championship or not, even if they don't, they'll get some help." But still, it's going to be the UCLA's, the Vanderbilts, the Fullertons, and stuff like that. Where would you stick Michigan based on what we know right now? If you were doing a preseason top 25 next year, where would you stick them right now? Like, would they be, if they lose tonight, would they be a top five team going into next year? If they win or lose, I'd put them around seven to nine. Okay. Somewhere seven to nine ish. All right. Because they'll have a good group coming back. I mean, they're going to be hit with the draft quite a yeah, bit, yeah. but they'll have a good group coming back and they've got a really good incoming recruiting class. 
And I like the way Eric Bakich has built up a program there. Seven years there, there's a lot to like about what he's done. Yeah, there's no reason to think he can't do the same with whatever class he gets. Mm -hmm. He builds things from the ground up, and he's committed to Michigan. Like, he likes being a Michigan Wolverine. He turned down the Carolina job, you know, because that was around the peak of Carolina's baseball success. That would have been a really attractive job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he likes where he is. You know that he and Corbin have uh, he and Corbin have like a pretty yeah. good relationship. They both worked in, at Clemson together. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, they're in the same group chat. It's crazy. It's <laughs> it's crazy how how deep these teams go together. Apparently, their wives are best friends, and their wives are in a group chat together. Oh boy! Apparently, that's how they met. There's got to be something on the line with the, with these games. Right? Oh, I'm sure. Like they've got a friendly wager some between them. Got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. I would love to see what the group chat says between those two. Like, I, I don't know what do you, could be going through their minds you, right do now. Do you think it's all, hey, best of luck tonight, or do you think it's like, we're going to get it to you tonight? I think 90% of it is cordial best of luck stuff. Maybe a little bit of friendly That's not how banter, I talk to trash my, talk. That's not how I talk to my best friend. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've got my own group chats where I probably don't talk as cordially as I would if, you know, people... Yeah, you know, you could probably say less cordially is accurate. Yeah. 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 You know, informal, casual, what have you. Yeah. I mean, they're both professionals and they're both among the best at what they do. But when you're going up against your friend, you know, and there are friends, baseball's ultimate prize on the line. I just would love to know what the emotions are right now. Like, what are they doing waiting for seven o'clock to finally get here so they can take the field? Like, well, I'm sure that they well, would have. Corbin's been here before. Well, he so has sure, been. I'm sure he's a little more relaxed. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Bakic is freaking out a little bit. Do you think more pressure is on Bakic than Corbin? Because Corbin's, you know, this isn't no, going to be his last trip to Omaha. There is zero pressure on Bakic right now. Think so? Nobody expected him to make it to the tournament. Nobody expected them to make it to the to the finals. Now they're here. They've already proven their worth. I'm talking in the sense that... Is this the best team that he could have in his time at Michigan? Oh. Like, does he have a chance at winning the College World Series if he doesn't this year? He's worried about becoming Matt Ryan and missing his Super Bowl window. How about... That, that could make sense. Dave Roberts from the Dodgers. Like, if he hasn't won a World Series with the teams he's had, he's not gonna. Does Eric Bakic have any pressure like that? Or do you I, think he's optimistic about we, his future? We, we, we could say he does. I, think he's, I don't think he's going to have a pitcher like Tommy Henry for a while, or at least with the clutch factor that Tommy Henry's had. Or a staff as a whole like this. Yeah, and they're not going to have Jimmy Kerr's uh, son for another 20 years. So <laughs> I don't know if they're going to make it back to the College World Series without a Kerr on their roster. Yeah, just hang around another 20 years, wait for Kerr to have another I, son. I was, I was making a joke on there the other day. I was like, all right. They've already signed his uh, his firstborn son <laughs> to a full ride. Kurs go to Michigan. Yeah. Runs in the family. Uh, but I tell you what, I don't know. I think Corbin knows that you know, he's won. He's been successful at Omaha before, and he knows he's going to be back there in the future. I don't know. This magical run, I don't think it's a fluke. I'm not saying that. But how many times are Because it's hard to make it to Omaha, especially when you have the limited resources that you do in the Big Ten. I don't know how many trips Michigan does have to Omaha in their future. Maybe they do. I'm not saying it's a fluke. I also think the fact that Michigan lost the the most recent game is going to be a factor as well. Mm -hmm. Because they had all that momentum. They hadn't lost a single game in the tournament yet, and all of a sudden, boom, slams to a halt. You get hit with the rock. What are you going to do? How are you going to rebound? So I think that that's going to slow their momentum a lot. So I think that there's a lot of advantages going in. Vanderbilt's way, just in terms of pure roster talent, 
Vanderbilt has the edge in terms of coaching and experience. I'd say Vanderbilt has the, I'd say Vanderbilt has the advantage. And in terms of, in terms of momentum, Vanderbilt has the advantage, right? And they're going to be the home team for this matchup. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff is going Vanderbilt's way, but Michigan is riding the magic. So I tell you what, I'm going to set the magic number for tonight at four. You think they're going to need four runs? I think that if Michigan holds Vanderbilt below four, they will win. If Vanderbilt gets above four. Vanderbilt probably wins it because Michigan needs us to be low score. I think Michigan's going to throw the better pitcher tonight. I think Kaufman is going to be the better of the starting pitchers, and Vanderbilt's best weapon is their offense. Michigan's is their pitching. They need it to be low scoring. Well, that's good. Pitching always beats offense. You would think, except for the Yankees. (laughs) Except for the Yankees. Well, the Yankees got the pitching, too. That's what they do. They're going to get it. Plus, the Yankees' ballpark is cheating, okay? I can hit a home run (laughs) in that ballpark. Strowman. When he becomes a Yankee, I am going to lose it. Like the day after he, he, the Yankees get Stroman, tune into the show because I am just going to lose it. He's going to be a good Yankee. He needs to be Don't a Yankee. say that. No, no, no he, he, like just the look at him, man. He, he's a Yankee. No. I don't, wanna, I don't want that. What team would better fit Marcus Stroman? A guy who raps on the side. Ooh, New York style, style of mind. Ooh. Go to some team that's not competitive right now. <laughs> Go to Baltimore. Hey, so we got this pitcher. Uh, hey, Baltimore, I know you guys are struggling, but if you want to give us your prospects, I know you're rebuilding, but come on, he's Marcus Stroman. Who does Baltimore have that anyone would want to trade for outside of Trey Mancini? Uh, Michael Gibbons. He's, he's been a little disappointing this year, though. Yeah, but still, I mean, so is Madison Bumgarner. Mm, yeah, okay. Him. Jonathan VR? Maybe, maybe. I wouldn't give up Stroman for him. But, no, no, you know. no, not at all. Um, I think there's somebody else. They've got the top overall draft pick this year. They just signed to a record deal. You ain't going to get rid of that. No, no you're way. not. Pedro Severino, maybe? He's maybe. Been, he's been all right. He's a complimentary piece. I don't think he'd start most other places behind you could, the plate. You could, you could probably trade Pedro, Pedro Severino for uh, like Curtis Granderson, the compensatory pick, probably. What if someone tried to do a one-for-one swap? Curtis Granderson for Chris Davis. That, whoever's getting Chris Davis just got the raw end of the deal. I'm sorry, but Chris Davis can't play defense. He can't swing. He can't hit for power anymore. All he does is clog up a space, but you have to play him because he's so expensive. Mm-hmm. Whoever pays the rest of that contract is losing. And that would be Baltimore because nobody's going to trade for him. Nope. And he's Never. locked in, I think, until 2023. Is there anybody, is there any contract, anybody out there, who would be worthy to trade Chris Davis for? No. No. Because I would have to pay Chris Davis that massive amount for him to rack up 200 strikeouts a year. So if you're the Orioles, do you want to just give Chris Davis away so you can open up a roster spot but still pay the rest of his contract? Based on what I know right now, I'd say no. I don't know what their farm system is like. I know they've got a few high draft picks. I don't know how they're producing yet. Mm-hmm. They got a bunch of those guys from the Dodgers last year. Yeah. But based on what I know right now, I wouldn't let Davis walk because you're not contending. Maybe you can give him some at-bats, get him a chance to get back on track. Back on track? He, he's never going to be back on track to what that contract's paying him. At least producing. At least being a guy who can stick in an everyday life. At least lineup. not going 0 for 53. <laughs> don't do that. Like I'm not going to pay you that. That is Notre Dame Charlie Weiss-esque. I think I, I, as of last year, they're finally done paying him. Had me caught there for a second. You, ha- you haven't slept in a long I time. I have not slept in over 24 hours, people. <laughs> 
Uh, shoot, nap time for you, man. I'll let you go. It's let you go be, get man. some rest. <laughs> Appreciate you being here. Oh, we'll look out for the man. Monday Minute. Uh, again, recapping Vanderbilt and Michigan. Anything else going on at ABC 10? Uh, not much Not much else going on, of course. We're going to talk about Matt Mackerzak. There you go. You did it. Matt Mackerzak, yep. We're going to talk about Matt Mackerzak and, of course, the skills challenge, which I'm really looking forward to. If I'm awake enough, I'm definitely going to try my hand at some of those. So maybe you'll see some of that tonight. Tell you what, that's it for us in the sports pen. I'll be back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, and ESPN-UP. For John Michael Hoefling, I'm Tanner Hoop, signing off from WZAM Ishpeming Marquette. Wow. Wow. Wow, bro. That's crazy. That's so love, bro. Wow. I'm just, bro, it's such a... That's crazy, bro. Wow, that's so crazy.